This comes from Luke 8, 4 through 18. This is the word of God. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we come to you and thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a light, that you shine. We thank you that we get to sit in that. We thank you that we get to hear your word. We thank you for Ryan, who has studied it well, and just pray for him as he comes and preaches. Pray that you would fill him with your spirit, and that your spirit would speak through him, and pray that we would listen well and hear what you have for us today. In Christ's name, amen. So if you're new with us, we're in a series of messages where we're walking through some of the parables that Jesus told, and these, these are stories that Jesus told to tell us about his kingdom, because if he didn't tell us these stories, we might miss his kingdom. And so he shares these, these, these stories with us so that we can draw out principles of how his kingdom comes and how it grows and how it matures. And the parable that we're looking at today just so happens to be the foundational parable of them all. Because how you perceive and interpret this parable that really depends on everything else because it has to do with how you hear the word of God. And, and basically what Jesus gets to is this. He says, hearing the word of God is not necessarily about having these ears on the side of your head that hear things. It's about having these ears in your heart that hear things. When I was about 10 or 11, my father began uh, taking me with him to go hunting. I was the kid that could, I couldn't wait to go with him. And finally, he took the risk <laughs> and took me out. And, uh, and, and we would get up at like 4 a.m. on Saturday mornings and we would stay out all day long in the, in the woods of central Kentucky. And my dad was pretty good at hunting. But his friend Donnie was better at hunting. 
And so there's this one time where I, I picked up on this over the, the course of a little bit, and, and his friend Donnie said, hey, would you like to go hunting with me, Ryan? And I said, you know what, Donnie, I want to learn how you hunt. So yeah, I'm going to go with you. And so there we go. We go out in the, the woods together, and I immediately notice a difference in the style of hunting. When we got out of the, the, the truck to go hunting with my dad, we just kind of slammed the doors and crush on through the leaves and get back to the deer stand. But as soon as you pulled onto the property, Donnie would park out like by the road, you know, and you would like walk in like, like Donnie, we're like three miles from the deer stand, you know, and we're walking real slow to go back there. And he would hold up his hand like this and I'd be behind him and I would like immediately stop and I'm like, all right, where's it at? Where's it at? And he would just hear things. He would, he would hear the deer, and we would sit there for like 20 minutes. And I would be like so bored that I'd be thinking about, you know, basketball or, you know, lunch or something like that. And then and all of a sudden, like 20 minutes later, deer would like walk right in front of us as we sat there. And, and what I realized about Donnie was that the difference wasn't in the good hunting spot or the, the good location of the deer stand or, or the, the, the cool decor that you wear when you go out, you know, the get up, the, the camouflage or, you know, Put, putting the dough urine on you or whatever it would be. Like none of that. Really what it was all about was how well you hear. And so I decided to put my, my new plan into, into, into practice when I was 12 years old. I said, hey, Dad, you know, we're going to hunt today. I'm excited. But, but listen, I want, you to, I want you to follow me and learn how I hunt today. And he's kind of like, ha, ha, ha. And so we get out into the woods and um, <laughs> something crazy happens. At 12 years old, I harvest the biggest animal I've ever seen in the woods before, and I got a picture of it right here. Um, I've got a Tennessee shirt on. Don't hold that against me. I think I picked it up at Goodwill or something. But uh, um, no, anyway, that's me and my little brother, and uh, me as a 12-year-old, and it was a lot of fun. Great memories. My dad and I still look back on it and and uh, and have a blast. And I remember my dad that day as we were sitting out there in the woods, like he wasn't as excited as I was, and I'm like, Dad, you should be stoked, man. And, and he's like, well, son, there's, there's two things. And I'm like, okay, here we go. He says, the first thing is this. I've never even seen an animal that big in the woods. The second thing is this. It's going to take us the rest of the day to get it out of here because it weighs like 250 pounds. So anyway, that, that, that little kind of story for you is just to illustrate one thing that is so crucial to where we're going today, and it's this. How well the Word of God has an impact in your life all depends on how well you hear it. This is what you'll notice in the Scripture that we just read. Over and over and over again, the Scriptures talk about hearing. He who has ears, let him hear. Seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Take care how you hear. And that's why our big idea today is this. We must take care how we hear the Word. We must take care how we hear the Word. And so, Jesus told this parable because He wanted to confront everyone that heard the parable. Every single one of us. So you're on the hot seat today, just like I am every week. You're on the hot seat today, and you've got to figure out kind of where you're at and how you hear the Word. And Jesus gives some very specific examples, three of how not to hear the Word, and then one of how you hear it. And so uh, we're going to dig into that, but, but before we dig into the, the ways that we hear the Word, I would just want to talk quickly about how the, the, uh, how the Word of God works in the world. So that's our first point, and the second point, we'll talk about how to hear the Word. So so let's dig in here. Luke 8, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at verses like 9 and 10 here for a second. Uh, and the scriptures say this, and then we're going to go on to interpret the parable after this. But as he said these things, he called out, and he said this. So basically imagine this. Jesus is, is talking to the crowd. He's talking about a farmer who sows seed. Um, and and the, the seed falls on different types of soil. And the way farming was back then is you didn't have like this, 
thing you hooked up behind a tractor and the, it put all the seed out for you. And it wasn't the Midwest where the soil was like super fertile. This is, this is around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is telling the story. It's pretty mountainous. And, and, and there's like all these different types of paths and, and, and there's not a lot of, I mean, you might see a crop like growing on a foothill over there, but there's not a lot of really plentiful land to harvest crops. And so this would have been extremely applicable to these guys. So he's telling this story to the crowd that's following him. He's telling them, hey, how are you going to receive this word? But then he pulls his disciples aside and he tells them this right here. And I want to start here and then we're going to go to the parable. He says this, and he, and he said these things, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, so his 12 were over here, he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So, so this is tough, because he's saying that the word of God serves two purposes. It, it softens repentant sinners and it hardens unrepentant sinners. That's, that's a tough thing. It, it, it either softens your heart or it hardens your heart is what, is what he's saying here. And so let's, let's dig into that a little bit about how the Scriptures soften a person's heart. Uh, the, the preaching of the Word, the preaching of Jesus to an unbelieving wor- world serves the sovereign purpose of God to bring people to spiritual life. This is why Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. So in hearing the Word of Christ, this is how God chooses to bring our hearts alive. In Ezekiel 36, we see that the Scripture said that we were all born with these hearts of stone, these hearts that were impenetrable by the Word of God. But what happens when someone declares that they want to follow Jesus and their life is producing fruit, and they finish the race, their heart has been softened by God. And it's able to receive the Word of God and able to grow up in the Word of God. And because our hearts are so deceptively wicked, we have to be remade. We, we, we can't just bolt on a couple of words of Jesus and get on with our life. We have to be completely born again, completely made new. And the Word of God is like the new owner's manual for our life. It's like the new program that we run on. It's the the Word of God being programmed into our hearts. So as we hear the Word of God, God opens our ears, He opens our minds, He opens our hearts to make us more like Jesus. How you receive the Word as a Christian is critical to how you grow. And in particular right here, He's talking about how you receive the preached Word. So how you receive the Word just like you are right now. It's critical to your life as a Christian. He goes on to say this, that that it not only softens sinners' hearts and brings them to faith in Jesus, but it can also have the opposite effect. It works to justly judge unbelief. You see, we believe that the Scriptures are true when when they say that those who do not repent and follow Jesus spend an eternity away from Him. Like There's not this kind of middle ground. And the Word of God to someone who has a hard heart, serves to harden their heart even more. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It says this, For we are the aroma of Christ. This is Paul writing to the church there in Corinth. Um, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So among those who have a softened heart, 
a heart that wants to follow Jesus, who's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden just interested in Jesus, never was before, but also to those that are perishing, those who have no interest in Christ. We're the aroma of Christ, he says. To one of fragrance from death to death, that's the hardened heart, and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things, he says. So if someone is a regenerate follower of Jesus, meaning they've been made alive with this new heart, and and we don't know when that happens. We know when we respond to God's wooing call to us, but we don't know when God gives us that new heart. We know that he planned it in eternity past. I know that I was completely not interested in God for a long time, probably the first year I was in the church. My friends brought me there. And then all of a sudden, something just happened. I don't know what it was. Where God made me open and receptive to his word. And maybe you have that story as well, but it's so interesting that Jesus talks about this parable of the sower and the soils, and he quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not hear. What he's saying is, is that if you have the, the ears of your heart open, you will receive the word. If not, it'll just come into your head and go out the other ear. It won't penetrate your heart. And so this word, for those who have been hardened by it, the word that they reject has become the word that we're judged by. And we've said this at New City from day one. Everybody has to do something with Jesus. Either you bow your knee to him now, as Philippians 2 says, or you bow it to him in eternity, and you spend forever away from him. Everybody will do something with Jesus. Everyone will see who he is. And today I want to plead with you to receive this word with faith. I want to plead with you to do everything in your power to prepare your heart to receive the Word of God. So let's dig into it together. Point two is this. Hearing the Word with our hearts brings us to life. So we're going to look at three things, three ways on how we're to not hear the Word. Three ways on how we're to not hear the Word. The first one is this right here. In a passive way. And we're just going to walk through this parable. In a passive way. And to hear the Word in a passive way is a non-responsive heart to the Word. So, so you, 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 you hear the word preached and you just do nothing with it. You just walk right out. It's like you're walking into a grocery store and you walk right out. In a non-responsive way, Jesus interprets this parable for us with the seed and the sower. And he says, it, it's like this. This is the seed that was sown along the path. And he says, it's those who have heard. So they, they, they heard physically the word, but then something happened. The devil comes. And he takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So this seed is the word, the word of God, the word of Jesus, the logos, John 1, that falls on a heart that is hardened um, and, it, and it takes no root. It just lays bare on the path. So if you can imagine uh, in, in, in this time when the scriptures were written, the, the, the farmland, there would have been paths along that animals and travelers would be on, and the sower would go out and he would sow because he'd be looking to yield a, a produce, a yield of a crop anywhere that he could. He'd want to take best advantage of his land, so he would sow the seed out indiscriminately to, to every, every uh, part of land that he could, just like Jesus sows his word indiscriminately to the crowd, even though all are not going to receive it. And this would be the seed that fell on the path. And so, you know, it would be bare. The, the soil would be hard because it, it would have been trampled on by animals and by people. And it just lays there. 
And then what happens is, is the birds get fed by it, right? They come in, they swoop in, and they take it. Well, he says, when it comes to the Word of God being sown on a human heart, this is the person who just lets the, the, the seed lay bare on their heart. And what happens is the enemy or, or a bird, I think birds are the enemy sometimes, but anyway, uh, comes down, he swoops, and he takes it away, and he's got lunch, right? He says that's what the devil has come to do. He, he has... He is, not, he's, he is so pleased to do that in your heart, to take the Word away from you. And sometimes as believers, I think whenever we, whenever we let the Word just kind of sit there and we don't wrestle with it, we just open a door to the enemy to come in. And I'm, I'm not talking about a salvation issue, but I'm just talking about more of a sanctification issue. We don't get as much out of the Word as we could because we just let the preached Word lay dormant on the surface of our heart. We say things like, that verse, that preacher, they just didn't speak to me today. You know, I, lo- I love this passage because it takes me off the hook, you know? It puts more pressure on you to hear the Word than it does on me to preach it well. Now, you need to be sitting under sound biblical teaching, but just like Jesus said, we ought to be so teachable like little children if our hearts are softened by the Word of God. But there is an effort that is involved for us to receive the Word of God well. This is why in the scriptures, the book of Philippians says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling because we have a responsibility to do everything in our power to receive the Word of God well. In the late 1700s, uh, William Wilberforce's life was absolutely turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a politician and his conversion led him to engage in parliament Uh, unlike anything the world has ever seen before, I would argue. He did something that we don't see today, which is he took all of his faith and all of his work and he put them together. And he took took it into the, the, so to to speak, marketplace of his time, or for him, which was parliament, governing the land, the British colonies, England, and he fought for 17 years to see slavery abolished in the British colonies. And time and time again, he would, he would he'd try to move legislation in a way and he would get rejected. And after 17 years of fighting, finally it was passed into law and slavery was abolished in the early 1800s in the British colonies. Now Wilberforce was close friends with this guy named William Pitt who eventually went on to become the youngest prime minister of England and Wilberforce, Wilberforce was, was, a, was a genuine follower of Jesus, and he took Pitt to, to hear this guy that came into town one day by the name of Richard Cecil, and he, he really wanted, he thought, you know, if Pitt could hear this, this preacher who's just like, man, he is a phenomenal preacher. I mean, he's like the Ryan Johnson of Lawrenceville. He's phenomenal. <laughs> I'm kidding. And uh, not, I'm not even close to Richard Cecil. But anyway, uh, he took Pitt, and Wilberforce was shaken to the core by the gospel. His heart was coming alive to God even more. And as they walked out, Wilberforce wondered in his heart, man, I just, I know that God had to use that word to do something in Pitt's life. I, I just can't wait to hear about it. And before, right after they got out of the door and they were walking on their way, Pitt, Pitt looks over to Wilberforce and he says, I have no idea what was just said. Can you tell me? Pitt didn't have the ears to receive to hear the Word of God. His heart was hard and the enemy just come and came and took the seed away. 
the devil is so eager to snatch the word from a passive heart. And while God has to make our hearts alive, church, there's a lot that we can do to not let that seed lay dormant on our heart. Where's the gospel in all this? You know the reason why Jesus came? John, the beloved disciple, wrote this in his letter, 1 John 3, verse 8. He said, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, to completely abolish them, to crush the devil. Church, if we will engage in faith with the Word of God, we see that Jesus crushes the enemy's power to steal his Word from our hearts. So my question to you as we move on is this. How has the Word of God been dormant in your life recently? Has it? How has it? Has it disappeared? Because Jesus is the only one with the power to crush the enemy. Will you receive the Word? Will you let it penetrate your heart as much as it depends on you today? The second way not to respond to the Word, to the hearing of the Word of God is this. In a superficial way. In a superficial way. To, to respond in a superficial way is to masquerade short-lived joy that disappears in times of trial. Let me say that again. To respond in a superficial way is to masquerade about in short-lived joy that disappears in times of trial. Now, so Jesus goes on to interpret this, this soil that the seed is sown in by saying this in Luke 8, 13. He says, and the ones on the rock, the seed that was sown on the rock, are those who when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. I don't know if you've ever climbed up on Stone Mountain before, and you got this big rock, and all of a sudden you see like this grass or this tree growing. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, where did this thing come from, right? It's kind of like this. It's like there's these little pockets of soil on top of rock. But I mean, I don't see anybody farming up on the top of Stone Mountain, do you? Because it's impossible. The roots can't grow deep enough. The soil couldn't nourish a crop enough. You've got a little a plant here or a tree there, but it's just impossible. And the, the, the interesting thing about this is, is, is kind of what Jesus says here. Is, is the reason that they fall away is because they have no roots. So they spring up for a time. And they are jacked up. They're excited about Jesus. They got the t-shirt, the music, the whole deal, the church camp, everything. But a couple months later, it's gone. Our culture, the culture of consumeristic cultural Christianity in our culture lives in this right here. It's, it's a motive faith. If I could feel something, then it was real. If I can't feel something, then it's not real. This is what Jesus was talking about here. I was in Indiana as a youth pastor about 10 years ago, and I baptized a young man named Tyler. And he had this story that was just crazy. He came out of this life of, of just a lot of rough stuff as an 18-year-old. And his friends were so excited that they brought him to church, and he started hearing the Word, and, and uh, he responded to it. And I was sitting there with him in the baptistry at the church on a Sunday morning, and I just had this feeling, I don't know if it was from God or I don't know what it was. I just had this feeling that his faith wasn't genuine at that time. And uh, I baptized him. It kind of haunted me afterwards because a month later, a terrible trial happened in his life and he completely ran away from God and all of the folks in the church. He just disappeared. 
Now, you, you have stories like that too. You've seen people like that. And the thing the enemy can do with that is it can make our hearts as Christians cynical and say, yeah, I don't think he's got genuine faith. It's not real. And so we just give up living on mission. We just give up trying to help people receive the word. We, we just give up proclaiming the gospel to our neighbors and our friends because we just get so cynical. And, and the interesting thing about Tyler's life is I don't know where he's at today, but that story is really some of us in this room today. It's some of those people that we know today that say all the right things in their heart, that spring up for a season, but a trial comes and it absolutely scorches our faith. If I'm describing the way you receive the Word of God right now, you just ebb and flow in these different seasons of getting excited about Jesus and then forsaking Jesus. Getting excited about Jesus and forsaking Him. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to live this way. James, in fact, says in James 1 that, that trial and suffering, they actually serve as a way to grow you in the faith. It's not something you should run from. I mean, <laughs> I'm not looking for it, don't get me wrong. But it's not something we should run from. Listen to what James 1, 2 uh, says here. The little brother, the bold little brother Jesus says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. It's usually not the first thing I run to. Probably not you either. And he says you can count it joy because of this. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It shows what your root structure is attached to, in other words. Jeremiah 17, uh, Psalm chapter 1, that talks about the, the year of, uh, uh, of drought, but the tree that sunk its roots down deep is a tree that has no problem in the year of drought. This is the type of work that Jesus desires to do in his disciples' heart, for the Word of God to go deep into our lives. And the very trial that we spend most of our lives Avoiding reveals the greatest assurance that we could ever have that when everything else is gone, like Job's life, where he lost everything, when everything else is gone, one thing remains Christ. And Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ height, depth, sickness, disease, death nothing can separate us if we've got that faith that's sunk down deep into our hearts. And lastly, the the last way on how not to hear the Word of God is in a compromising way. And this way is where genuine commitment uh, vanishes in the sight of a call to discipleship. And, and what I mean by discipleship is this. is a call to, to, to the rigorous pursuit of following Jesus. Not just a happy, clappy, emotive, eh, Jesus is great. But the rigorous pursuit of when it's tough, when it's hard, when life's not going well, that type of pursuit. And he, he, he uh, describes the parable to them with this type of soil this way in Luke 8, 14 and 15. He says, as for what fell among the thorns, they are the ones who hear, just like all the other ones, but as they go on their way, as they go on the pursuit of Jesus, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit, their fruit doesn't mature. If I'm honest with you, if not for the grace of God, this would be me. I could totally see myself being this guy right here. You know why? Because following Jesus is hard and the world has a lot of appealing things to offer us, doesn't it? It's got a lot of shortcuts, doesn't it? 
It's hard. I was just telling a friend this week, I was texting him. I said, man, I've never felt so tempted by the devil and yet so pursued by Jesus in the same day of my life. <laughs> it's just a Christian life. The pursuit of Jesus gets stronger. You're turning to him more and more. You're confessing your sin. Man, the, the hunt of the devil is stronger too. And for some reason, this is the way that God has chosen to bring us to more mature faith. Is with the wheat and the tares and the thorns and the thistles and everything. Life is hard. So if following Jesus isn't difficult for you, you might want to make sure you're following Jesus. Because it's so hard, guys. I don't know what it is that chokes, this, you're tempted to, to be choked out by your faith. Maybe it's the pursuit of, uh, of the good life and the American dream. I know that's some people. Maybe it's just worrying about money. Jesus mentions that right here. The deceitfulness of riches. Man, they're so deceitful. Or spending all your time just doing what feels right and good, just chasing experiences. And yet, never letting Jesus be your strength. This describes the one who gets along in the faith, but he just never really matures. He just is kind of stuck on, like Peter says, on the milk instead of the meat. And or maybe that was Paul that said that. I can't remember. <laughs> it's the person that says, I believe in Jesus, but Jesus is his God. He's his salvation, but he's not his Lord. He's, Jesus is, is his guy on Sunday, but not on Monday. And Jesus describes this call as you go on your way, this, this, this uh, pursuit of discipleship in Luke chapter 9. Just one chapter later, he says this, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And here's the dagger. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet he loses his soul? This is the temptation of the thorns to choke it out. To choke out our faith. We might need to staple that verse up in our office. <laughs> this is our call to Jesus. That, it, that the cross is not just something that's done for us. It is absolutely that. Christ crucified is my only hope. He's my only hope of any type of life after this, any type of joy today. The cross is not just something that's done for you. It is something that is done to you. That's what Jesus says. This is what it means to follow. And if, and if you're in that place where you're like, yeah, I'm cool with Jesus until he starts messing with my life. You're getting choked out. You're getting choked out by the thorns. The word isn't taking root as deeply as it could. Remember the rich young ruler, the guy that said, man, Jesus, I want to follow you and and, and he came to Jesus, and Jesus said, okay, you know the word. You're a, Jewish, you're a good Jewish boy. You know the word. And he, and he rattles off a few commandments, and the, and, the, and the guy says, which I can't imagine ever saying this to Jesus, all of these I've done for my youth. And Jesus then puts his finger on the pressure point. He says, okay, then go sell all of your possessions and give them to the undeserving poor. Then you'll have life. And the Scriptures say, the man walked away sad because he had many possessions. Thorns. And you know that you've got them because your growth is stifled. You just can't get beyond where you're at with the Lord 
because you're living this dualistic life. What is it that chokes the word out of your heart this morning? What is it? What is it from the outside that you're letting in to choke the word out of your heart? Now lastly, to the positive example that Jesus shares. How to hear the word. Jesus says this, Luke 8.15, As for the good soil, they are the ones who, on hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and their lives bear fruit, but get the last part, with patience. It takes a while. So this is to hear the word in an expectant way. We hear it with an honest, good, and enduring heart of faith. So I'm just going to break down those three phrases that Jesus shares, and then we'll wrap it up. How to hear the word of God in an expectant way. First thing is this. Jesus says, they hold the word fast. What does that mean? This is a person that when they hear the word preached, they hear the word spoken, they hear the word in a missional community or a discipleship group or, or with a friend that speaks it to them, they ruminate on the word. They, they say, no, I, just, I want a little bit more from that, God. I, I just want to let that sink in a little deeper. I don't feel like I completely get it. They're not the person that says, oh, I've heard that parable before. Let's go ahead and get out here and get a cup of coffee. They, don't, they never say that because they always believe that God can teach them more because he's not finished with them. So they ruminate on the word. It doesn't matter if they've read the Bible a thousand times. They're teachable. It's the person that, that says as Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. They are clinging to Jesus with everything they've got because they believe that he's not finished with them. Even though they feel the temptations of the devil and the pursuit of of him after us like a roaring lion, as Peter says. They just think that Jesus is holding on to them a little tighter. And they need his word to make them more and more alive. The hearing of the word is far more than a preacher roast on the way home on Sunday mornings, if you've got those. But they wrestle with it like Jacob wrestled with, the, with God in the wilderness when he was becoming a believer. You know what Jacob said? As he's wrestling with God, he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. God's like, all right, you're going to walk with a limp for the rest of your life, but I'll bless you. And he did. He didn't let go of God. What would it look like for you to take that approach to the word of God as you hear it? You just cling to it. You say, God, I'm not going to let this go until you bless me with it. The truth of this, this idea of holding the word fast is that we are only able to hold the Word of God fast, hold it with a tight grip, because Jesus' grip on our life is far stronger than our grip on Him. Jude 24 says this, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. That is our Jesus. He's holding on to us so tight so that we are able to hold fast to His Word. Second thing is this, not only do we hold fast to the Word, but we receive it and we hear it with an honest and with a good heart. An honest heart is a heart that chooses to humbly confess sin. It's not a heart that says, let me figure out how good I am today, but it's search me and know me, God. Try me and know me deeply. I want to know where my life isn't lined up with yours. I don't want to just appear to be good because that's the, that's the crop that kind of raises up quickly and then it it goes away in the trial, but I want to know you 
deeply. And I've said this over and over again. Christians are some of the most dishonest people on the face of the planet. Yeah, we are. It's because we, we think that God can't handle our honesty. We think that God can't handle our sin. We think that God uh, is somewhat expecting us to be farther along than we actually are. But really what he says is if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So really, the safer place to be is, is to over-confess sin than to under-confess. Because forgiveness is ours when we ask God to search us. Now I'm not talking about to be so confused and, uh, and so unsure of your salvation. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm just saying part of our Christian community ought to have a regular confession of sin and a repentance toward one another in it. I was sitting across the table with a new friend this week, and, and I, I watched this uh, man, uh, as he sat across with me, just say, man, I've done some really, really bad things in my life. And he said, I don't want to live that way anymore. And I, he said, I don't want anger and rage to control my life. I don't want to take advantage of people. I don't follow Jesus. But he said, I want to do it right. I want this to just be a fling. Oh, I'm on the right track now. Everybody will be happy. He said, I want to do it right. This is the person that holds fast the word with an honest and good heart. An honest and good heart says that because Jesus has met me so deeply, I no longer have to find my identity in the approval of others. That's when we let the gospel go deep when we really believe that. Lastly, the scriptures say this. The good soil is the, is the heart that holds fast the word with a good and honest heart to bear fruit with patience. So the real test for Jesus, if we're actually holding fast to the word, is the story that our life tells. Or in another way to say it, the fruit that your life produces. Jesus over and over again says that, that those that abide in him bear fruit that doesn't perish. It's fruit that lasts. It's fruit that endures. You know, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Your life bears those things because you are constantly connected to the vine. This is what the person, who, the Word has been grown deeply in, sees. Is there, there's just this ever-growing fruit in their life. Their life might not be getting, it might actually seem that their life is getting worse, actually. But the fruit of the Spirit is swelling up within them, even though their circumstances are awful. His body may fail, his friends may fail, and his circumstances may be dis disastrous, but God's Word in his heart does not fail. That's the person whose heart is in the good soil. That's what their life looks like. The seed is God's Word, and His Word was designed to bear fruit in your life. He goes on to, to say this, Luke does, about this parable. Jesus says this, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar. He switches his metaphors here from seed to light. Or puts it under a bed. But puts it on a sand so that all who enter may see it. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest or seen. Nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So he's saying here that the way that God's Word ought to work in our heart is it ought to get brighter and brighter and brighter as we follow Him. Now, now that looks different than our lives getting better and better and better, doesn't it? Just the light is getting brighter. Jesus is a little brighter than He was yesterday. 
He says, that's how it's supposed to work. He says, how silly would it be for someone to have a lamp in their house and to hide it when somebody comes in? That's just so silly. So it's kind of a a call to let our light shine in the world as well, right? To let our light shine, to not be ashamed of the person and the work of Jesus when it comes to all the different ways that the Word can be choked out in our life. To not be ashamed, but to let the light shine. Because the lighter the bright shines the more assurance that we have as we see God working in our lives. And it all starts with how we hear the Word of God. And this is why he goes on to close this whole hearing parable that he tells. He says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. And Jesus says that the difference in people that are transformed by the Word and those who are not depends on how they hear. New City, can we be the type of church that hears the Word of God well? And to be patient and loving and bold with our friends who do not hear the Word of God well. It was so cool this week. We were, we were setting up and, and we, were, we were all at the lake jumping off this little rock and, and uh, one of my kids was just scared. You know, he's like, I just, I can't jump off this, it's too high. And one of his friends looked over that was with us and he said, he said, hey, Caden, I just want you to know that God is with you even when you're scared. He said, that's what I heard at VBS today. He was gospel in his heart, man, I loved it. It was so good. What would it look like for us to do that a little bit more faithfully, to let our light shine? Because we're not ashamed of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that uh, that your desire is for us to hear the word of your Son, Jesus. And God, we've we've all experienced the ways that the word should not grow in our hearts. We've all lived that way, and we probably will dabble in it some more, God. But God, we pray that you would keep us. And that your word would take such a deep root in our hearts today. That as we walk with you, we would just see more and more evidence of your kingdom coming into our lives. We don't want to be like that that person that that just lets the word lie dormant in our hearts. It just lets the enemy come in and snatch it. God, we don't want to be like that person that just gets excited for a little bit. And then fades away when life gets hard. And we don't want to be like that one. But when they see the call to follow Jesus and how hard it is, we walk away sad because we've got many possessions. We've got much to protect. God, may you be everything to us this morning. And may your word sink deeply into our souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.